0: welcome to the period recovery podcast i'm your host cynthia donovan registered dietitian and period recovery expert who has been where you currently are this is the podcast to listen to if you want your period back month after month or if you want to restore your fertility and feel more relaxed around food and exercise consider this your safe space that will take the guests and the stress out of period recovery and bring you the information inspiration, tools, stories and empowerment that are key in getting your period back month after month. Get ready to be inspired, get ready to get your period back and get ready to get your life back. Come on, let's dive in. Hey, have you been at period recovery for some time now and are constantly wondering when will it come back every time you go to the bathroom hoping, wishing? Well, this quiz will help you take Where are you in period recovery and how to move forward? Take the When Will My Period Come Back quiz and you can find the link in the show notes. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Period Recovery Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. And I know I say this every time I have a guest, but all my guests are really special. And I have Elena here. And I'm going to introduce Elena, and then we're going to dive right into chatting about all things period recovery, a little bit about Elena's story, and kind of go from there. So Elena is a registered dietitian who helps women heal their relationship with food, their bodies, and fitness. Through her own journey to food freedom after five years struggling with binge eating and amenorrhea, she developed a passion for helping other women overcome similar struggles. Elena now offers online coaching to women around the world. Her specialty is helping fit women stop binging so they can be free to live the healthy, happy, and full life they were meant for. So Elena, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: I know. The last time we chatted, I was on your podcast. And I think at the time, I didn't even know I was starting a podcast. I think I was maybe starting to think about it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that shows you how long it's been. So let's kind of catch up. Um, You know, according to your bio, and I know this already because you've been a colleague of mine for a while, but uh, you worked with women or work with women with amenorrhea. And I know you struggled with this yourself. So let's dive into that. And if you want to share a little bit about your story, how you lost your period, and just, you know, share with the audience, you know, any tidbits of things that uh, you feel like they can relate to in your missing period journey.
1: Yes. So I grew up as like the chubby kid. I really was not like, I was, you know, a little bit, I guess I was a little chubby at, at a certain age, but like, it was something that I was in a group of like very thin friends. So it was always like in comparison to them, I was like the bigger one. and you know, whatever. So that was kind of the, that set the stage very early on for me to develop a disordered relationship to food that I wasn't, I really wasn't even aware that there was a connection between those things at the time. But basically, you know, body image issues developing from that being like teased for, you know, being called fat being told by my doctor, I was overweight. And then once I hit puberty, you know, I kind of like got taller and I was sort of just like a medium sized person. But in my mind, I still had this like burning desire to be thin because I always noticed this difference between how I was, you know, treated or the attention that I got versus my friends who were smaller than me. So, and I also was never like an athlete or into sports or anything like that. I was very active and like loved dance and music and, um, I was very like creative and artsy. I loved to be outside. I loved to ride my bike, but I didn't do like structured, traditional exercise or athletics or anything like that. So, and that's that factors into this too. So I'll get to that. So then I started dieting in like high school times to try to um, lose weight. Couldn't really stick to anything. Couldn't stick to like I was like, okay, I guess you go to the gym when you're trying to lose weight. So i was like, I'm going to try to go to the gym. Couldn't stick to that. Couldn't stick to. Any sort of diet, I tried a million different crazy diets and I couldn't really stick to them. And then finally, quote unquote, finally, um, my senior year, I, you know, did this super restrictive diet and like stuck to it. It was basically like I just wasn't eating, basically. I was doing like a cleanse where you literally don't eat, you just drink this disgusting drink for like 10 days, which I do not recommend. And I got this like this switch clicked in my brain and looking back at it now, I think of it as like a very like eating disorder switch, like, you know, anorexia type switch where you're like, oh, I can literally not eat anything if I want to. And like it to me at the time, it was like
0: discipline. Yeah. Oh, I finally did it.
1: Yeah. I finally have this discipline that I never had. And like, I felt like my, I looked different. People were telling me even after this cleanse, like, oh, Elena, you look good, whatever. I was starting to get a little taste of that attention. And then that like kicked me into gear where then I started working out consistently. I started tracking my calories and like everything changed. Like even my personality changed. Like I think at that time I almost, it was like sort of like, I guess some traumas that then led me to be like thrust into this perfectionist, like triggered type a person. Like even my friends will tell you that like Elena before that and Elena now are like completely different people. And in some ways it was beneficial for like, you know, succeeding in school, which I was not like a good student before then. Um, and then in a lot of ways it was very toxic and I'm still getting rid of like perfectionistic tendencies that are not related to food in my body anymore, but are still there. So that catapulted me into, you know, that was my senior year of high school. So I had lost a pretty significant amount of weight. I just like transformed who I was. I went from being in my eyes, the fat one to the fit one. Now, like I was the one who was always working out, who was always choosing the quote unquote healthy option. And I was felt morally righteous because of that just like high on this dopamine of people finally giving me this attention for being, you know, fit and thin. And that was just crazy to me. So when I went to college, I was like, no way I'm gaining weight. And then the disordered behaviors came in even stronger, where I started because I heard about the freshman 15. And I was like, there is no way I'm going to gain this weight. So that's where like, really started coming in with like, decreasing my food even more, increasing my exercise even more, even though I didn't even want to lose more weight. I was just like, you can't gain weight. So you got to like put a little buffer because you're afraid that you're going to gain weight in college. And that's where things really like became for me like really disordered. Um And I lost more weight. And then that's when I lost my period. And there were other signs before that, like, I started to develop really bad acne, like cystic acne, which was obviously due to like the cortisol, the stress and like the inflammation that I was putting my body through. Just like, Fatigue, like at first exercise felt good. It felt good to move my body when I hadn't really done some of these things before. It felt enjoyable, like gave me energy. Now I would like remember, like literally falling asleep and being like, okay, you have to get up and go for an eight mile run in like Pennsylvania winter with like a ski mask on. Dreadful. Thinking about food constantly, planning everything out ahead of time, starting to like not go out with my friends and like just spending so much time thinking about food and exercise. So that's when I lost my period. And there's much more that comes after that. But that's kind of like the lead up to when I yeah. lost my period.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. And I I hear you on all those things. I think we have uh sort of similar journeys. And, you know, it's crazy that the praise and how we kind of view what is considered good and healthy and what's considered bad and unhealthy, based on how we look on the outside when what's going on in our head is so unhealthy. But it's hard because the entire world normalizes that shit. Like, oh, you know, eating salad for lunch and dinner or, you know, exercising every single day. I mean, I remember looking at people when I was back in the depths of my disordered stuff, like, you don't go to the gym. Like, what? Like, who are you? Like, what are you doing with your life? Um. So all of those things, and it makes it hard to really even realize we have a problem because it's just so friggin' normalized in the world. And so I want to ask you, Elena. You are a registered dietitian. Was going to college to be a registered dietitian something that you've always wanted to do, or was it something like the disordered eating, and you was like, hmm, maybe I can. It's that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same, same, guilty. I remember not even knowing it was like a profession. I was a pre-med major and I was like, oh shit, I can't do calculus. I can't do math. Like I'm so bad at math. And I was going to become a physician's assistant. And then I'm like, oh, dietitian? Like you mean all this stuff I'm already like semi-obsessed with, I could really take control of and tell other people what to do. And of course, my own inner you know demons would benefit as well. So yeah, I mean, looking back now where you are, where I am, I'm sure you wouldn't change the the field you took uh, for the world because now we're able to, I don't want to say um, shed light on, but I don't know about you. I remember I've been a dietitian now, we'll just say 10 plus years. Okay. We'll just leave it at 10 years. And my curriculum was Totally fat phobic, weight loss, calories in versus calories out focused. And I'm assuming it probably wasn't much different for you. Yeah, not much different. Yeah. So which fueled what I was already going through, which I'm sure um, fueled for you. So also, too, I want to touch upon and I was giggling as you were saying it um, about how, you know, you'd feel like shit. You'd be you know, falling asleep. And still get yourself up to go for a run in the middle of winter. Like,
1: that is negative nine degrees, negative
0: nine degrees Fahrenheit,
1: wearing multiple sweatshirts.
0: What the average, maybe, I don't want to say average person, but what the typical person would think like, wow, that is like disciplined, Elena, that is hardcore, which drives it. Right, drives you to say, okay, this was the right thing to do. And I'm sure now you look at it, you're like, whoa, like, <laughs> what was I thinking? Um, but you know, we only know what we know when we know it, I like to say. But, um, yeah, I've done some, some crazy things myself. So let's kind of, you led up to where your period was missing. Then what happened after that? You lost your period. Was it like, oh shit, I have a problem? Or was it like, uh, Well, this is kind of cool. My period's missing. I don't got to worry about my monthly cycle.
1: (laughs) So it wasn't as much like I don't have to worry about my monthly cycle, but I did. I did find some sort of like sick, like a pride in it because I I don't remember like what my knowledge was at the time, and like you know the whole like eating disorder brain, like you can't think clearly. So it's almost like I think back and I'm like, what was I even thinking? Like, what was my brain even doing? But I do remember learning about the female athlete triad in um, in because I, I was first uh, in school to become a vet. And then I switched my major like sophomore year because of the exact reason that you talked about. I re- figured out like a dietitian was a thing. And, you know, everything you said is like literally exactly why I I did that. So. That was later that I learned about like female athlete triad. But I think some like I think I had some awareness, I guess, because it was freshman year when I lost my period. It happened pretty quickly within that first semester that I knew that like losing your period was something that happened to like athletes or people that worked out a lot. So in my mind, I was like, oh, oh, wow. Like I'm like a athletic person now. Like it like further enhance this identity that I was building for myself that I was like my ego was like terrified to let go of, of the fat one to the fit one like I'm like okay great like I am really hardcore now that I've lost my period I didn't even think about like the health effects of it and when I ended up going to my gynecologist like eight months later she also literally reinforced that exact same perspective oh you know it's just because you're super fit you work out a lot Just, you know, I'm going to give you this pill that will kickstart your period. It's a five day, seven day course of progesterone and you just take it and then you'll bleed and then we'll get you on the pill so that your cycle is regular and so that you can just be regulated. I still have the same gynecologist, by the way. And like, sometimes I'm like, I want to punch you in the head, but I just go there, just check my vagina and I'm (laughs) going (laughs) to leave. Don't tell me anything else. (laughs) Um, So Anyways, so she basically just reinforced it and I did bleed with the Provera challenge. Knowing now, I what I know about like the Provera challenge, and I, I'm not sure if to talk about this in the podcast, but you probably have. I know that like when you bleed, you know, it's a sign that you have maybe have a less severe version of HA versus somebody who, you know, has their uterine lining and their estrogen levels are so low that they don't even have anything to shed. I did have some to shed. And Part of that's probably because I was never clinically underweight, which was another factor that allowed me to just say, this is not a problem because I was thin for myself, but I didn't look, quote unquote, sick. No one would look at me and say, oh, you look anorexic. So it was like, oh, all right, no big deal. My gynecologist also, you know, that, that like incomplete way of diagnosing HA where it's just like, okay, if you bleed with the Provera challenge, then you're fine. Everything's good. Just go on the pill and that's what it looked like. And then I stayed on the pill for like the next four years and continued to struggle with food. And eventually I started binge eating and that was like, became my main problem until finally I went off of it and you know, we can get to that. But yeah, that's the rest of the story.
0: Yeah. It's rather frustrating. I know to so many that are like, well, why if it doesn't work or like it's not giving me a real period probera, like why is my doctor recommending it? And we won't get into that. We can leave that for a whole nother uh, podcast episode. You know, doctors, I like to give them the benefit of the doubt that they don't know everything about everything, right? Just like we're dieticians, we don't know everything about nutrition. Um, But hopefully 10 years from now, I'm fingers crossed that this will become more of a thing. Doctors will learn about it more and get down to the root cause versus just taking a Band-Aid method of uh, the pill, which it still boggles my mind that, like, they can say, I had a, was it a client the other day? um, She said she went to the doctors, and she was kind of fighting with her doctor and saying, well, the birth control pill isn't a real period. And her doctor kind of laughed at her and said, I just think you don't want to be helped, like, or something of that sort. And I'm like, how doesn't a medical doctor know that those, you know, synthetic oral hormones aren't like being actually produced by your body. That's why you're having to take them externally. It just.
1: I think yeah. a lot of it has to do with medicine, like is still catching up to like even just researching women and like yeah. considering women as different from men in terms of how their
0: yeah, hormones yeah. work. Like I yeah. think
1: like a lot of doctors like literally don't know and don't care, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's wild.
0: Yeah. And there's I know so many factors. Um, I actually did a podcast recording with um Dr. Mandy, Dr. Maggie Landis. I can't remember what episode it is, but uh, we talked about weight bias and, you know, why it's difficult sometimes, you know, for doctors to get to the underlying reason of medical conditions. Um, A lot of times due to weight, just like you said, Elena, like nobody looked at me funny because I wasn't underweight. So weight bias goes two ways. It could be when you're normal weight, you know, lower weight or higher weight. I want to talk a little bit about, because I think a lot of women that do have missing periods tend to say that they binge eat. Now, could you shed a little bit of light on, like, you know, were you really, I mean, I know you were binging, but like, Was it really binge eating or was it your body was just so damn hungry that it wanted food? So would you shed a little bit more light and kind of clarify what what does binging even mean when you're having a missing period?
1: Yes. And you asked me like before we started recording, is there like something specific I want to talk about? And I kind of thought about this as you were starting to record is like the connection between binge eating and missing periods because a lot of women who struggle with with HA also struggle with binge eating. And like you're you're alluding to, there's a lot of misconceptions around what binge eating means and what it looks like. So there's a difference between extreme hunger and binge eating. And I kind of like to think of like hunger cues in like, like kind of stages. So if you think about like, you know, say in a quote unquote normal healthy person, when they get a desire to eat, they get a hunger cue, they eat. They feel full, they feel satisfied, they move on with their day, they don't think about food, and they're fueled, they have energy, they just move on. When you're somebody who is struggling with either your dieting, or you're starting to develop disorder eating tendencies, you are continuously ignoring hunger cues. And so the more you ignore hunger cues, they, they don't go just go away, they start to get stronger and stronger. Because hunger cues are your body telling you, I need food, I need energy, I need to eat. So if you keep not giving your body that energy, your body wants to survive. It's very, very deeply afraid, so to speak, of starvation. It's trying to avoid starvation because that was a very real risk for us back in the day. Um, So if you keep ignoring those hunger cues, they just get stronger. And so when you are ignoring them for months and then a year and then two years, that keeps compounding to the point where you're just going to start thinking about food 24-7 and not realizing that that's actually a hunger cue. And then when you do try to start eating and actually listening to those hunger cues, you'll be like, Oh, my God, I literally can't stop eating like I could eat four meals and still not feel satisfied and like need to keep eating. Um, In order to get satisfied, I need to eat way past the point of physical fullness. And if you're very afraid of weight gain, if you have a lot of fears around foods, if you have a perfectionistic view of health where you're like if i eat this food i'm going to get diabetes and you're like catastrophizing then when you start eating and you you feel not satisfied and you want to keep eating you're going to be like oh my god like i'm bin you're going to you're going to say i'm binging like that's what people say they say i'm binge i'm i'm binging but i think people have just heard that word and they don't realize that what it really is is they just have extreme hunger they have heightened hunger cues so that can happen so okay i'll leave that part at that now Full-blown binge eating is a different thing, but it's this, it's kind of, I see it as like an advanced, like an even more advanced stage of that. So if you have extreme hunger, but you're continuing to not listen to that hunger for not, this doesn't happen to everyone, obviously, because not everyone develops binge eating, but it's just certain people's brain chemistry, this survival mechanism comes in. And when you're really experiencing a full-blown binge, it feels like you're losing control of your body. Like it feels like you're having an out of body experience almost. And you, you are like fighting it and you get this urge. It feels very much like an addiction where it's like you get an urge and no matter what you do, you cannot stop yourself from getting the food. You'll eat people, other people's food. You'll steal food. I would, you know, I would stop at multiple grocery stores on the way home from visiting my boyfriend and just be like cramming food in my mouth in the car. In a daze, like feeling like I was in like a some like, like there's a cloud over my eyes or something like that. And then when you come out of it, you feel like immense guilt, immense sadness. And that last that can last for days. So the binge episode is a very like, it's characterized by this complete loss of control, feeling like you're losing control of your body you can feel a little you can feel guilt. You can feel like, wow, I ate a lot and I feel very full now. And when you have extreme hunger, you will feel that. And you have to work through the guilt and the fear and the judgments you have about that. But it's not the same thing as binging. It's like a small little line that you're sort of crossing. But the main thing is that feeling of being completely out of control of your own body. That's what a binge is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that makes uh, a lot of sense um, because the body is both times in survival you know, mode, but that almost like blackout haze, like loss of control. And then I'm sure after that the vicious cycle starts. You feel like shit. And then you're like, okay, I'm gonna be good. And then you're restricting again and it just, you know, is a is a vicious cycle. Um, and so when so going back to like the quote unquote binge, though it's more so much like extreme hunger of of the constant restriction, so we lose our hunger cues after many years of you know under fueling, and then you get into this place where you can't stop thinking about food. Your hunger cues are kind of like, <laughs> I've given up on you, friend. Um, and then it goes to the brain where. The brain makes you think of food. Now, I remember, I can't remember where I was reading this, if this was a research article or just um, an article from or a podcast or whatever. But is it you know, true that when we get to that point of constantly thinking about food, not so much having those hunger belly signals anymore, but that's just the body's way of kind of working smarter and not harder because there's much more energy in turning on you know, the belly versus your brain. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that's the difference between like, I mean, and like hunger cues are and hunger satisfactionfulness. It's such a complex system with like millions of different things contributing to it. But so it's like a simplified way of explaining it. But I think of it as like physical hunger cues versus like mental hunger cues. And mental doesn't mean like psychological, it just means that it's your, your th- it's coming in like your thoughts, but that is driven by a biological need. Because like you said, like those physical hunger cues are going to be more energetically expensive, basically. And so your body's kind of just like, okay, we're going to suppress this because we're really in conservation mode. That's why you lose your period. because You're like, you know, we don't have the energy to be ovulating and going through this energy intensive cycle that we're supposed to go through each month and then same thing happens with the physical hunger cues and then it just your body your brain's just like but you still need to eat so hopefully if food if food comes around if this person's constantly thinking about food they're gonna be it's food focused like that's the way you could think about it. it's like if you're either food focused when you need to eat and you're desiring food or when you're satisfied you no longer feel food focused you can go and go about your day and not think about food anymore and there's neurons That fire to make you more food focused, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason for that.
0: Yes. And it's all about that survival, right? Like our bodies are so smart. And for so long, we have almost, I like to say, lived outside of our body. Like we haven't been connected with our body. And especially too with like thinking of food. It's almost like, oh, this constant thought of food almost makes us, or I don't want to say almost, but definitely I know for me, when I was under fueling, it made me feel even more guilty. Like, why can't I stop thinking about food? I must have a problem. Yeah, I thought it was addicted. Yeah, I'm addicted. I'm addicted to sugar, you know, (laughs) because that was the one thing I probably would be least likely to let myself have would be something sweet. And so therefore I wanted it, you know, more, but yeah, which, which makes it really difficult. And uh, again, our, I think our society world, whatever you want to call it really normalizes that, you know, if you're thinking of food, like you need to go do something else, like go drink a glass of water, chew a piece of gum. Oh my gosh. I used to chew so much gum. Did you chew gum?
1: say? Oh, (laughs) Cynthia. I was like known for it. Oh, me too peppermint five gum like wrappers five five gum like the longest whatever i would leave yeah. wrappers around my boyfriend's house he's like what is wrong with you are you okay why are you chewing so much gum and why are you also leaving it in my apartment and not throwing it out that's a that's a personal <laughs> problem
0: <laughs> but yeah my thing was oh my gosh i remember when i discovered i think it was the brand extra where they had the um fl- like the flavored ones like uh, chocolate chip mint. Yes. <laughs> oh.
1: Wait, they had like a cake flavored yeah. one or like a cinnamon bun flavored one? Yeah. Oh, a I'm having like trauma flashbacks. Like, I know. I literally would be like, oh, yes, this is going to satisfy my yeah. craving, chewing this, yes. <laughs> this like, uh, cinnamon
0: bun, bun. I remember saying to myself and, you know, Elaine and I can kind of joke about this. And I, if you're experiencing this right now that know that we didn't know, it's not fun. And When we were going through it, we had no idea it was actually a problem. Um, And I just remember, like, and I want to giggle about it because I'm like, oh, this tastes like chocolate chip mint ice cream without the calories. Like, how awesome. Right? And I'm like, ah. And that's, like, gets to something else
1: that I just want to quickly point out is that when you are, like, you probably literally did feel like that tasted so good. Whereas now, because you actually eat things that taste good and you are eating enough, food doesn't taste so, and we're so concerned about like highly palatable foods and like these foods we eat, like they're highly palatable. So we're going to eat more of them and we can't stop eating. We get addicted to them. But in reality, yes, potato chips, we're going to probably want to eat more potato chips than broccoli in, in any, if it's like in any given situation, maybe we'll eat a little bit more of those and that's okay. But you literally food tastes better when you are under eating because again it's all like think of just everything is your body just trying to get this energy that you're denying it so when you eat enough you'll eat potato chips you'll enjoy them and then eventually your body will also crave broccoli because it's it feels good and you like the taste of it in certain ways like your your body will crave these different things so that just made me think of that.
0: Yes. You know? And and to add on to that and I'm sure you can relate with your clients um but with my clients like I feel, you know, and not just clients but you know in general going through this, let's get our period back, we need to eat more, rest more kind of thing. Um but a big fear is like if I allow myself to have the things I never allowed myself to have, I'm I'm going to go like crazy on them, and I'm never going to stop eating them ever. And we know, you and I know, this is this is untrue, but how, I guess, do you explain to your clients or to your audience that this, this is not going to, like, happen? You're not going to restrict bagels for 10 years and then start eating bagels and have seven bagels a day for the rest of your life?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, for some of them, especially the ones who either have like role models in their lives of people who have normal, healthy relationships to food, which is often somewhat rare. Like a lot of my clients grow up and grew up in situations where like all their family members were like clearly dealing with like disordered eating. Or if they have a time in their history where they did have a somewhat good, healthy relationship to food, for those, I will say to them, okay. I get that you're afraid of this. And, like, I could tell you all day long that, like, this isn't going to happen. But, like, what, are you just going to, like, randomly trust me? Probably not, especially when you have all these doubts. Um, but I tell them, how has it worked for you? Like, look at your own experience. What happened when you started to control these foods more and eat less of these foods? Like, what happened? Did, you're, you're here right now because of that. Like, follow the sequence of your life and how this worked out the more that you've restricted these foods, this is what's made you binge on them more. This is what's made you think about them more. So that's definitely something I'll talk to them about. For others, I'll talk about like the habituation effect that like they talk about in intuitive eating a lot. And you know, show them that like, you know, think about when you eat the same thing every day for several days, you eventually start to get tired of it. Because Maybe it was really good on the first day, but the more you ate it, you started to be like, eh, it doesn't taste as good anymore. It's the same thing with these other foods. I explained to them like more of kind of the science behind it of like, you know, when you have been under fueling for a long time, you start to like, you don't, you're not eating enough carbs, even from like whole food sources of like grains and bread and fruits, like you're restricting that so it, it, you're going to crave even the more condensed version of carbohydrate in something like a like a something that has more sugar in it or whatever like a processed thing that's going to have highly yeah a, high, a dense amount of that so i'll explain it in different ways and i'm probably not covering all of the ways that i'll go about it but you got to get creative yeah. because some some of those some people you know your your eating disorder is really or your disordered eating voice like it's telling you all these everything you've heard from like every fear mongering source out there. <laughs> you really
0: got to work through those fears in some yep. situations. Well, I can tell you if you told me 15 years ago that, uh, let's just take one of my kryptonites work chocolate chip cookies, like I would totally, when I would allow myself to have them, probably have more than I should because. After, you know, Saturday's party or whatever, I'm going to be good on Monday. So I better, you know, get my stuff in. Um, but if you told me 15 years ago that you won't crave chocolate chip cookies like you do, I'd be like, get the hell out of here. Like, there's no way. I'm yeah. always going to want those and I'm going to want them in abundance.
1: Because when that's been your life for so long, yes. it's, like you don't, it's like you can't imagine it being any different. When you've been unsatisfied and thinking about food 24-7 for years, you're like, no, why would, how would that be any different? No. You just can't imagine it.
0: Absolutely. And so, yeah, it definitely takes a lot of convincing because there is so many different things out there that contribute to our thoughts. And not only that, like you said, we've been thinking this way for a you know, number of years And to maybe hear it once, uh, it's not going to really settle and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. Um, But it is so true. It is, you know, when you're fueled enough and you're giving yourself full permission to eat, like, I don't know. I mean, I still love chocolate chip cookies, but I'm not like, oh, my God, a chocolate chip cookie. Like, this is so bad, you know, or, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to be able to eat this again. So, you know, that that changes. But that is sometimes hard to um, convince uh, that you can habituate those foods um, if you're well nourished and, you know, give yourself full permission. Because uh, who the hell wants chocolate chip cookies like every day, 365 days a year? You're eventually going to get sick of them. So, yeah, I'm glad we broke that down a little bit, you know, about the binging and, you know, binge eating disorder. Cause like you said, that term is very easily used by our society that, you know, and when it comes down to it, at least for our audiences, most are you know going through that extreme um hunger and then some crossing that line you said into the binge eating disorder but either way if you're going through either of them it's resolvable the solution's the same the solution's the same for both of them
1: too yeah
0: yeah and so um nourishing is a big part of the solution and really would you say breaking food fears what are some other things like you know if someone is listening to this now and wanted a quick you know Again, it's not quick. None of this is quick. But if you had to give some words of encouragement, of little tiny steps uh, that uh, people can take to, you know, start their journey if they're feeling like they're binging or having a binge eating disorder.
1: Yeah, the main things that like the three main factors that like broadly that I cover with clients is um, identifying and breaking food rules, listening to fully listening to all hunger cues, mental and physical, which means that you will be eating enough. Like once you're fully listening to your body, your body's very smart, it knows what it needs in order to recover from this and normalize all of these things. And so you just really have to learn how to listen to it. So breaking food rules, learning and listening to all of your hunger cues, and then digging into the fear of weight gain and body image issues, because that's the reason Uh, And maybe like a fourth, I would say actually a fourth, which is like kind of, I speak to this with my clients, but it's also more like something you would work on in therapy is like addressing the perfectionist mindset, addressing your self-esteem, your self-worth because like you almost think, I think of it as like, I'm very like root cause, like my mind always goes to that. So I'm always like, okay, so you have these food rules and you're not listening to your hunger cues. Why? Because you're afraid of gaining weight. Why are you afraid of gaining weight? Because you feel like you can't like your body, you can't um get a partner, you can't get the can't live the life you want and get the attention you want. Uh you can't be healthy if you don't do X, Y and Z. And why is it that you feel that way? Well, there's stuff we have to address about health, like defining health and how we define health is a big thing. That often goes back to perfectionism too because yes, some people might look at like, "Oh, it's good to eat vegetables." and be like, "Okay, like I'll try to get some vegetables in, you know, when I when I can." A type A perfectionist will say okay, I'm gonna eat 10 vegetables in a day and eat that every single day. And if I don't eat them, I feel like shit and I can't think clearly and I'm anxious all day long. Like, So that's a deeper mindset issue that's gonna be showing up in other areas of your life too, which is where like therapy can come in or like specific mindset coaching related to that. And then with the body image stuff, like it all goes back to stuff that happened in your childhood. Like when you dig back into it, it's like all inner child stuff, self-esteem, self-worth, Being a woman, just generally in our culture, like there's a cultural perception around like, you know, unwritten sort of, but very blatantly obvious that like a woman's worth is mainly in how she looks. And so, you know, all of that has to be dug into. And none of that is simple, obviously. No. But that's generally
0: (laughs) how I go about it. If you really, you know, I have a very similar approach as like, let's get, let's get to the root cause. Let's get to that root cause because if we don't, then we're scratching the surface and it's going to come up another time when typically when you something happens, something very stressful um, in your life, you're going to result back to those, you know, those safety mechanisms that maybe helped you feel safe in, you know, your childhood or um, adolescence or whatever. Um, So they served a purpose maybe when you were younger, but yeah, a lot of us are You know, it's been ingrained in us maybe from generations um, or just it's so, you know, multifactorial where so many things can contribute to it that we could probably talk for hours about it. But um, yes, no quick, simple fix, but there are certain things that you can do and start to look inward a little bit. And of course, this kind of inner, deeper work around food, body, period recovery um, is really hard to do alone. Um, if you want to get to the root cause. So, you know, getting that support, whether it's from a therapist, a dietitian, is just so integral in healing from the bottom up so that you can nip that in the butt and move on with your life. Um, again, not that simple things, you know, still you'll work on, they'll come up. Thank you. And Cynthia, can
1: I give one quick thing? Because I feel like, you know, just for people to get something that's a little bit more actionable. Um, Cause I gave like, obviously like the highest level overview and they're like, okay, <laughs> what do I actually do though? I'm like terrified right now. Um, I would say like the two action items for people would be to like, do some writing about like, okay, we know you're afraid of weight gain. You probably know that pretty clearly that you're afraid of gaining weight and whatever. So you have that fear of weight gain. What are you afraid of will happen if you continue to keep like living the life that you're living in, in in the way that you approach food and exercise, like what are what is the fear on the opposite end of that? If you keep living in under the control of this fear of waking, what are you sacrificing? How is this impacting your day to day life? Like what is being what what cost is that is that um incurring for you? Because it's typically, like literally everything else that matters in your life, like your social life, your relationships, your sex life, Um, your physical health, like if you've lost your period, that's a huge warning sign for your physical health. You probably have maybe digestive issues, fatigue, feeling cold all the time. Like, look at those. How is this affecting your life? And like, how does that fit into what you want for the overall grand scale of your life? Like, that is a big question that writing, actually writing about that can help solidify and like give you some more motivation to overcome that fear. You're still gonna feel afraid, but like, you just need to find that, little piece of like, you know, fear in the opposite direction that motivates you to face the fear. And then eventually that fear will go away with time as you keep facing it. So I would say that and then asking yourself all of like, write a bullet pointed list of all of the the behaviors that are driven by your fear of weight gain that you're doing right now, whether it's exercise or where you're, you know, pushing off your hunger at this time of the day, or I don't eat this food, or I only eat this food at this time. Um, All of that, like write that a big old bullet point of list of everything you could think of. And then just like try to start working through that list, like one by one. Even if you do one thing, it's better than nothing.
0: Yeah, those are some great um, tangible things that the listeners right now can take away and, you know, run with and i think i love that you brought up like what is what is the opportunity cost you know for this like what is it costing and sometimes it's hard to to see because you're so caught up in it i can't tell you and i'm sure no i can tell you but just speaking generally to um the audience that and feel free to chime in but how many you know women will say oh my gosh like my partner feels like I'm a whole different person, you know, now that I'm fueling more and I'm eating more. I feel emotions now. Yes. That's a big one. Yeah. Things like that. Because I mean, most will say like, I just thought that's the way I was. I was just like a bitch. And I can tell you when I was in the depths of my disorder days, I told myself that like, that's just my personality. I'm just like a bitch and on edge all the time. And most of my friends would be like, oh, Cynthia's like not Like, I love her, but she's just not desirable to be around, (laughs) you know? But,
1: Cynthia, I literally, I literally, my boyfriend met me uh, when I was a freshman, which is, like, at the depths of this when I had lost my period and stuff, and he literally called me Regina, as in Regina George (laughs) from the Mean Girls, because, like, he, like, met me and my friends, and, like, my friends were all, like, chatting with him, and, like, this is before we were, like, together so like, flirty with him and kind of, like, chatty, and he said that I would just kind of, like, given this like blank stare and like he was literally like scared to talk to me and he would like just like make jokes that I was Regina George and like literally that was because I was just apathetic and like just just completely suppressed because of my just not eating enough
0: yeah yeah and when you're in survival mode your body definitely doesn't have the energy expenditure to laugh to love, to you know be happy and feeling anything but like almost like a flat line, one of my clients said, I just felt like a robot, um and I'm like, that is a really great way of saying what you are doing because it's like, okay, wake up, go to the gym, okay, eat, study, gym, eat, and that's really it, um, literally, yeah, yeah, so um so much can improve and Um, The opportunity cost, like, I don't know, I I think I saw something if it was on Facebook and I mentioned it in another podcast, but it was related to more of an addiction thing. Like your addiction is having one thing and giving up everything else for that one thing. Mm. So I kind of twisted it to say recovery, you know, or like not choosing recovery is giving up everything for that one thing of your fixation on body, whatever, Um, And then pursuing recovery is like having all of these things. Um, Mm -hmm. And
1: life is messy. So when you get into that, it's like, you know, that's a lot of times what you're avoiding, you know, like life is beautiful and also messy in many, many ways. There's so much there.
0: Yeah, so much. So I know we talked, kind of went off the cuff a little bit with your journey. I don't think we talked about, what you did to get your period back. And then we'll kind of wrap things up.
1: Well, all the things that I just said that I gave those three things, I did all those. I did all that. Everything I teach my clients, you know, I did maybe like in a, I teach it in a more sophisticated way now because I wasn't, you know, as educated on the subject back then. But the other piece that I didn't mention was exercise. Like, you know, with the food stuff, I think it's kind of clear. I broke all the food rules. I gave myself one hundred percent full permission to eat. I went through that extreme hunger. I ate I don't even know how many meals in a day, plus dessert and snacks and all the foods I didn't let myself. I ate uh, tons of whole foods. I ate tons of processed foods. I ate everything. And it was great and difficult at the same time. And so I did all that. you know, eventually my hunger stabilized. I started craving things less. My binges stopped pretty much immediately. And then eventually kind of my hunger normalized, my cravings normalized. And I just settled into an intuitive relationship to food. With exercise, I took a full break. By the time I hit recovery, like for a lot of my clients, they don't go all in, so to speak, like this at first, because it's just like really, really scary. And there's a lot to work through. But I was pretty like ready. I was just I had tried so many different things. And I think to anyone out there who struggles with binge eating in your podcast will get this when you feel that like, truly like out of body experience. And I was binging, you know, at least once a week, oftentimes more than that. It's like you feel like you're literally going insane. And like, you just want to stop feeling that feeling because there's nothing scarier than just feeling like you have no control over your body, especially for a perfectionist who wants control. And that's the whole reason why I was losing control actually was because ironically, I was trying so much to control everything in my life. But yeah, I think that motivates you more so to just be like, well, I can't control myself anyways around food. So like, I'm already like, gaining weight, losing weight because of this binge eating. So like, I'm just gonna let it all go. So I did that. I stopped exercising, took a full exercise break. And I didn't feel like moving at all. I didn't want to go for a walk. I didn't want to yoga. I just relaxed. Um, And then eventually, I kind of like wanted to walk again, I wanted to stretch. And then, you know, once I had my three full recovery periods, then I reintegrated exercise and also found a nice, healthy, intuitive relationship to that because I had given myself that full permission to rest, as well as the full permission to eat. And it works like exactly the same because exercise and the food like they're just both ways that we, we are operating from this like control and fear of weight gain. So once you just give the permission, which is not an easy step. These things resolve themselves. And now I have energy to work out. I want to work out. Sometimes I want to rest and just kind of flows in that way.
0: And isn't that just an amazing feeling to be able to just be intuitive with it and flow with it and how just having that flowy, intuitive relationship with food and exercise, how it's improved your life in probably unimaginable ways that you never thought were possible before. So, you know, aside from having that, you know, nice flowy relationship with exercise and food, where do you, where do you feel like you're, and I know me too, Elena, I am a recovering, still recovering perfectionist. I feel like perfectionists are always, you know, certainly a perfectionist at heart, but you are now able to really um, put your perfection in ways that are going to serve you versus not serve you. But, you know, aside from being a recovering perfectionist, where did you see, you know, your benefit of having this, you know, great relationship with food and um exercise now? Where did it open up to kind of have other things in your life flow in?
1: Yeah. So I feel like social life is always like one of the biggest ones because that's what really goes when you're struggling with these things. Oh, yeah. You know, if you're there, you're not present at all. And a lot of times you just say no and don't even go to things. But even if you are there, you're thinking about food the whole time. So just being able to like go out with my friends, be spontaneous, um, you know, drink if I wanted to and like not worry about binging or worry about the calories and just be able to enjoy like all different types of experiences without thinking about food at all and not having to like worry about all of the different rules that were going to the gym the next day
0: or like starting fresh on Monday or whatever it may be worrying about. You're not going to fit into that dress at the wedding that you're in. Like we could probably name a million things, right? So, um, life is, is much more full and it is possible for everyone, uh, to do. So last question I like to ask all of, um, my guests is how are you living now? And you can share like, I'm living like awesome, you know, or I'm going through X, Y, and Z. Uh, because even when we're going through shit, there is always to me, there's, always something positive that will eventually come out of it. It's just sometimes hard to see when we're in the depths of whatever it is we're going through. really hard. Um so how are you living now?
1: Yeah, so I'm coming off kind of a phase like what you just described of like seeing no light at the end of the tunnel and feeling like I'm a failure at life, everything sucks, and now looking back I see like how I'm in a much better place now and seeing how much I've grown from that experience. I would say you know, I recovered from my disordered eating, got my period back, stopped binging um around the time I was like sitting for my exam to become a dietitian and then you know this because I worked we worked with um you know the same coach at, at one point. I started my business right when I became a dietitian and right after I recovered. So I started my business, as I started my business, I also moved away from all my family and friends in with my boyfriend in a different state and then I also and then also COVID hit. So all of these things were happening. And my perfect and like, I was, you know, free from the disordered eating and kind of like setting into settling into adult life. And the perfectionism, like, it was basically like all of the similar ways of thinking that I was thinking about food and my body and exercise back in my disordered eating days, I was now applying that to like life, and especially like business and you know, my life was only business, I had no life outside of that no social life, it's very similar to the disordered eating. So it forced me even though it was a very dark time for me. And I was definitely struggling with like, depression, anxiety, um, like even some like addictive tendencies. It was like, I see that now as like, I was being confronted with the perfectionism in other areas of life. And now like, I feel like I've made a lot of progress in that mindset. Um, and like grown spiritually and stuff from that. So I'm feeling growth after a period of darkness is where I'm at right now. And it feels very good.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy, though, how a lot of times that our, you know, perfectionist tendencies that were in food and stuff sometimes can transfer to other places in our life uh, because it, you know, we're all in control, you know, with that now and we're good with that. Um, And that I think one thing for me, too, that my journey has taught me and you could probably you know, say similar that it's allowed us to get a little bit curious and to say like, ooh, I'm seeing this coming up in other places in my life. Like what's going on here? And we have more of the self-awareness because of the crazy journey that we have already been through. So know that if you are feeling stuck in your disordered eating, missing period, that this experience, even though it sucks and it feels so horrible, um, that you're going to look back on it. I don't know when, it could be a month, it could be a year, it could be two years, and be like, you know what, thank you, you know, journey of craziness, because you've allowed me to grow and to be able to self-reflect on other things, and just to really morph into the person that I'm truly meant to be. Easier said than done when you're going through the thick of it, but, you know, Elena and I can both tell you that even though there seems no light at the end of the tunnel, there is always light at the end of the tunnel, and you can choose least to do something to make yourself feel 1% better um, in the day. And of course, reach out for the necessary support if you feel like you need it. And I want to note that because you are probably listening and you are a perfectionist, asking for help is okay. Asking for help doesn't mean you failed, right? I used to think that like, well, no, I could do this myself. Like I, I shouldn't need help. Like I'm a dietitian; I know better.
1: Human beings literally like we've gotten so advanced because we're our social beings and we rely on, on each other. Like that is literally what it means to be human. And that's why social isolation is like death for human beings, because we need we are grew in communities. We need to help each other. Yes, so we need. Yeah, that that's a good note.
0: Yeah. So on that note, we're leaving on an awesome positive note. Elena, if people want to connect with you, where can they find you?
1: Uh, I'm the binge eating dietitian on Instagram. There's like dots between each word, but that doesn't really matter. If you just type in the binge eating dietitian, you'll see my face. Elena is my name. So you'll be able to find that. Instagram is where I am primarily. I'm also the binge eating dietitian on TikTok. And my podcast is the binge eating dietitian podcast.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Elena, for taking the time to be here, share some of your story and your tips for the audience. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Hi, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment to think and reflect on how this could be helpful in your period recovery journey. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Period Recovery podcast. We know there are a lot of pods out there, and I'm so excited and grateful you are here listening with me. If you need more support on your period recovery journey, schedule a time to chat with me on my website, periodnutritionist.com. If you found this podcast helpful, please help me spread awareness on missing periods by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with others. Are you ready to get your period back and your life back? I'll see you in two weeks.